is Reed Draper. This is Barry Hoggard, and you're listening to Beats, Rye, and Types. Beats, Rye, and Types. With AQ and MRB. With AQ and MRB. I endorse everything they say. Everybody and uh, welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, episode five. You're listening to a little bit of a track called El Malo by Willie Colon and Hector Laveau. Ironically, after living in New York, one of the homes of uh, modern salsa music for so long, I decided to wait until I left New York to really get into that music, unfortunately. Uh, Willie Colon is one of the pioneers of uh, salsa music, Puerto Rican music coming out of New York. He's one of the original New Yorkans, and uh, the track El Malo is as bad as it sounds so i highly recommend highly recommend checking that music out if you haven't before it's really cool stuff has a you know is this jazz is this salsa some of its vocals some of it's not it's really great stuff uh, so today we're gonna talk about a subject uh, not often associated with my name personally uh per- perfection uh something that both computologists and uh food people are both very interested in. AQ said he had a great quote uh, to start out the conversation for this episode. So AQ, why don't you take it away? Yeah. So I've been diving through that collection of aspirational cookbooks that I have and spending a lot of time reading about food and uh, specifically very high-end and classic food and also very modern food. And there's one book that really has struck me recently and I've gotten really excited about, and that's this uh, cookbook called Favakin. And Favakin is about a restaurant in the very, 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 very north of Sweden. Actually, actually, I don't think it's that far north, but it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And this guy, Magnus Nielsen, is cooking this kind of insane food where he takes that idea of local that we were talking about before to the next level where he's in this very remote place but still cooking with this same kind of dedication to ingredients and everything but he's actually kind of insane <laughs> like not not even just like a little bit like very insane so he has this whole passage about in the cookbook carrots and the title of the passage the title of the section is giving a carrot the attention it deserves and it kind of tells the story of how he caught a chef in his kitchen just doing what you normally do with carrots which is you know scrubbing them and then uh, peeling them with like a normal vegetable peeler as fast as you possibly can he goes into uh, like a two and a half page description of how to properly peel a carrot which is a little beyond what i think any of us would probably be prepared to do but it's a beautiful beautiful description but at the end he kind of starts talking about perfection and what it means to him here's a paragraph straight from that book For me, a process like this is a thing of enormous beauty. It shows dedication, intelligence, and thought from the chef. It is a ritual that should be respected. Does it make the dish you are making better? Yes, if only for a fraction. If this meticulous principle of working is applied to every recipe every day, the end result will be great. 
The questions you must ask yourself about every detail are these. Does this make the end result better, and do I have the time or capacity to do it at the moment? If the answer to either of these questions is no, do it in a different but equally thought-through way that better suits the needs and possibilities available to you. The important idea is that not always to do things without compromise, but with thought-through attention and decisions that lead little by little towards creating a better result. To me, that just speaks a lot about his his kind of vision, but also a lot of vision that chefs have about this idea of striving towards something greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I mean, the uh, parallels between that and code are kind of obvious, right, to anyone that um, has thought about code quality in and of itself. And it also has, uh, you know, I think that there are connections between this conversation and the and the tools uh, conversation that we had last episode, right? It's like a lot of the reason why people are so obsessed with pursuing tools is because they feel like they're a means uh, toward the end of uh, creating a better product. But, you know, I'm, I'm definitely reminded of things I've heard Renee Redzepi say, things I've heard Dan Barber say, things I've heard Alice Waters say, things I've heard uh, Sean, Sean, Sean Brock say, Thomas Keller say. That's a beautiful passage for sure. Going out of your way like Sean Brock did to like revise the, or to, to bring back the extinct uh, variety of rice and then grow it and then harvest it and then prepare it and then cook it and serve it, right? There's a certain perspective that says, you know, doing that once, you know, at least, or, or knowing, you can't really know what goes into that process unless you do it, right? And so there's something, there's something interesting there, I think, right? Like that, that, that gives you that connection to the value of the product that you're working with. And it, it's something that, you know, a lot of people come become vegetarians, for example, after they like see a slaughterhouse for the first time, right? I've heard stories like you're driving through the wrong part of California and you smell the concentrated animal feeding operation right you're like I really don't want to eat that commercial meat right and so we're so divorced from the means of production of, of so much of our food these days that it is really though these people are who we mentioned are extreme and the average individual of course would never have the ability to experience their cuisine firsthand it is an inspiring uh, level of dedication and artistry that I think is cool because it's not just about being fancy right it's not like the last it's not like the last wave of fancy cuisine where it was all about what you can fly in and you know flying in frozen fish or flying in foie gras or you know owning an island off the coast of Hawaii so you can produce like palm hearts or whatever it is right yeah, it's like, yeah exactly there's something about the combination of the local and constraint thing with the obsession with, with perfection that seems to produce these very visceral experiences for people that go and, and eat that cuisine. And it's actually explicitly, I mean, specifically with uh, Magnus Nielsen and Rene Redzepi, it's explicitly d- divorced from the idea of fancy food. I mean, they're serving it in these kind of fancy environments and with a fancy background to to play off of, but they're trying to push ingredients and trying to use things in a way that is almost explicitly not fancy in the way we think about fancy, in the way of like white tablecloths and like you were saying, flown in, you know, foie gras or whatever it is. Rene Redzepi actually and the Noma, they had a whole thing of what they called trash cooking. They explicitly tried to break down the idea of what 
can we do with these leftover in things and parts of animals and parts of plants and parts of fish and stuff like that that we normally just throw away? Can we actually like make something that is delicious and thought-provoking and interesting and interesting as a in and of itself without knowing what goes into it and knowing all the work that went into it just the fact that it in and of itself is interesting but with these discarded parts that would normally just go to the trash heap you know there's something really fascinating about these guys who like take so much work into creating the smallest parts of a dish and i think that that a lot of when you look at these guys that's kind of a thread that unites them and i think that's one of the things that struck me about that quote it's not just about the complete dish the way they think about it is how do you make every individual aspect of that dish or that meal you know something that evokes emotion or evokes some feeling of this being better than better than anything else yeah i mean one thing that i think is really interesting about it is that the hard part about making something delicious out of trash food is that you can't just use the same old techniques that you use for the more accepted easier to digest more delicious parts of a vegetable or an animal or whatever right like you know there's only so many parts of a cow or a pig that you can like sear and serve just on their own and have it be like ready to go right so the process is pushed by the ingredients and that that push and pull to me is kind of the most interesting thing where it's like okay I remember in one of the Mind of the Chef, Sean Brock episodes, it's like the whole, like, he has these root vegetables that are, like, stashed in rice in some certain corner of his walk-in, and they're sprouting all of these, like, crazy, you know, appendages or whatever, and then the result is that there's this crazy concentrated, you know, whatever it was, beet, beet flavor or carrot flavor or whatever it is, right? Or Dan Barber, who did the experiment with growing, what was it, like, carrots and almonds near each other to see if he could like make some new kind of make some new kind of vegetable so I mean I think the the dedication to the process of the production of the ingredient is really interesting because normally you get these perfect ingredients and then you just try not to fuck them up right and then you serve them but this is a whole other thing where it's like even to get to the point where the ingredient is coming in the front door or you're like, you don't like the fact that you're throwing away carrot tops. Like, how do you make carrot tops something that is, like, uh, edible or or exciting? I think is really cool. And, like, getting people in from all over the world to have these experiences is really exciting and interesting to me. I've been a big fan of, like, modern and conceptual art for a long time, ever since, like, I first came across that stuff when I was in high school and college. And part of what I like about a solo wit like that I see on the wall is that like you know that little bit about how it got there right like the insti- the institution purchased a piece of paper that had the instructions for creating that piece on the wall right they didn't buy the painting and Solowit himself didn't come and like paint it on your wall but it doesn't make it less cool right it actually makes it more interesting and 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 of course no one would be talking about it if it wasn't like a beautiful striking thing to see to begin with right and that's like that's an interesting thing to talk about too like people's criticisms of uh this kind of work um are that you know you shouldn't have to like read a book or know a story to like sit down and enjoy a meal or sit down and enjoy a a painting right but 
I think that's taking it a little far, right? There's like enough extra information that you can get that just makes something that much more interesting. You know, we, we're human, right? So the stories definitely matter to us. It, it would be naive to say that we're not influenced by the whatever external factors are in play when we go and sit down to have a fancy meal or go out of our way to travel, right? Yeah, and the expectations of sitting down at, you know, a nice meal and what 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 goes into that. The Sala Wit example is a really interesting one because I've thought about that too in relation to art and this whole process of of process really. Like to so many of these chefs and artists that it's really about the journey to get to the end result and not the actual food. There's something magical in in the fact that they're working so hard and striving so hard to reach whatever this pinnacle is and they're so obsessed with the the idea or the concept even that there is a pinnacle of whatever food that they're cooking because they have to believe in that in order to, to think that one thing is better than another thing, right? But for them and putting that food out on a table for diners and to do it over and over and over again you know, the end result and what you get and what you eat isn't really what it's about for them. It's about how they've deconstructed this thing to the point where each individual part and each process to get to each of those parts, whether it's growing a vegetable or making a vinegar or whatever it is, is as refined and as creative as possible in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are, there is also like a component of social responsibility that's a really important thing to keep in mind when you're talking about these artists too, right? It's like, it might not be impressive from the outside that like, you know, the pizza place that we've been talking about in Portland, for example, the Sarah's 50-50 place, you know, she's producing these pizzas where the dough is naturally leavened and the ingredients are, you know, she gets very excited when the ingredients come from like a local place somewhere she knew it was produced her friend's farm she can visit the farm and I think it's easy to get caught up in the idea that people do that for the sake of doing it but it's actually a very valuable social exercise right like I think that there are a lot of places in America where that wouldn't really be possible anymore right like 50 years ago 25 years ago even probably it would have been a lot more likely that you could find a working farmer and potentially make these things work but you know that that's a thing that's going away in a lot of places and it's important for us to keep in mind that even if that's not you know our aesthetic it happens to be my aesthetic it's something i'm interested in but if it's something to you that seems offensive or weird in some way i think it's important to keep in mind that you know it's i i think it's cool because it's such a, a big question mark like can a place like that sustain itself can places like that show up in other places you know can we make it so that this type of food is accessible to people who really need it not only people who are like intellectually interested in it right like people would benefit greatly health-wise from access to things that were actually grown and consumed in season and that's uh, an important thing i think to keep in mind so yeah how do you think the perfection idea of perfection ties in to computology how as computologists are we able to take these same philosophies and put them to work you know i think um one thing that uh, is really similar is every single interaction uh, idea right where if you're talking about working in a code base that you share with other people you know the idea that you 
always uh, strive to leave the code base in a better place than when you found it and that you never kind of skimp on your standards is an important and very interesting thing to think about, right? I mean, there's, I think, an interesting tension between perfect is the enemy of good or good is the enemy of right or whatever it is, right? You know, like, (laughs) you know, people want to ship people want to release things people want to get them out and that's all really important stuff uh sometimes it's interesting to think about how things would be different if we paid more attention to the quality of things on an on an upfront basis on an ongoing basis and uh, that i think is a lot of what the undercurrent regarding like uh, conversations or debates that people have about like which programming paradigm is better or which programming language is better or which framework is better you know a lot of it comes down to like which of the which qualities of those systems that you interact with enforce your ability to stay on top of things as they change over time it's easy if you're a chef to like phone in a certain dish and it's easy if you're a developer to like phone in a commit and to not really put any attention to it generally it's about having an ethos and about you know supporting the standards that you have for the aesthetics that you have and making sure that you don't waver from from them right um especially when it's important the the word that you said that rings most clearly with me is intention you know i think that there is an objective perfection and a subjective perfection like there's this objective ideal that there is something that is perfect and that it's something that we're all striving for but what that thing is is a a subjective thing of what we as individuals and as people who write code or make food try to try to achieve to me that means the quote says and as you've been saying like it's about taking the care to do the things that are in your mind and that have the intent of of striving towards that goal whatever that is and if your vision of perfection is different different from someone else's that's cool i think it's just about having the intent and knowing that you're working with that intent to do something that is striving towards whatever that ideal is which is like very counterintuitive i think to a lot of the day-to-day work that we often do like you were saying, that's why sometimes we as professional programmers are at odds with our day-to-day work or are at odds with like our need to actually build things or do things in the right way. But I think if that vision of perfection or our own subjective view of it can include both, you know, the need to actually like feed ourselves and the need to do something that has some kind of greater, greater ideal, then maybe, maybe it'll all work out. I think things change a lot when you have other people involved, right? Like your what I do for little programs that I write on my own are very different than things that I would do when I'm writing software on a team. And maybe that's the old adage, like chefs eat McDonald's for dinner or cook instant ramen at home because they don't, they can't really bear to uh, sort of have to live up to those standards outside of the commercial kitchen then, uh, you know, so they just kind of make it easy on themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, it's always hard, like, take a personal interest in the thing that you do for a living or, you know, if you could ever have considered, like, doing something food-related for a living, like, it, 
it's easy to wonder, would you still care as much about it? Would you still feel the same way about it? And if you want to enjoy a hobby or, you know, don't make it your work is kind of one of the old, uh, another old saying. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, that that's kind of accepted wisdom, but it might be kind of actually like a damaging attitude to have, right? There, there's probably uh, a, there's probably a way to uh, maintain that level of interest and also have it be the thing that supports you. But I think you just have to be that much more driven and try that much harder in order to reach that case. Yeah, and I think it's definitely different for each individual what that thing is or what that balance is. For my situation, I feel like I enjoy pushing myself in both places of programming and food but there's definitely a limit to how much effort i'm willing to put into each you know and or i can definitely see myself get getting completely burnt out on either just by pushing too hard or by going in a direction or forcing myself in a direction that's not necessarily or doesn't agree with the ethos as you were saying of what i believe is the the right way to do things yeah. So, what are the what are the dangerous like downsides of perfection? What what? How does that? How does the idea like damage us either as professional computologists or hob- hobbyist chefs? Like, yeah, I think I think that's really close to what I was saying too. It's just there's this upper limit of how far we're willing to strive. Obsession can be a good thing when it takes us to great places and we can get over humps and succeed. But when it turns into burnout or turns into the feelings of disappointment and failure, which it often and inevitably does, there's a lot of damage that can be done there emotionally and just to other people and to to your work in general. There's definitely a balance. And I think the people who succeed the most at being these high-level chefs or great computologists are not the people necessarily who are the most obsessed, even though we often tend to celebrate those people. I think the people who succeed the most are the people who have found that balance of being able to follow their obsessions and follow the intense love that they have for something without letting it become burdensome. Yeah, or another way to think about it might be that they are the ones that set their own definition of what perfect is and they're comfortable with that. I I think another dangerous component of perfectionism is like the high the high barrier of entry it can it can project or that people can project onto themselves it's like you open up a computer science textbook or try to read a computer science paper or you open up an aspirational cookbook and it and it seems impossible but for me what i've always tried to do is you know build up to my own ideal of perfection like one little nugget at a time right open up the alinea book and maybe don't try to cook the whole thing but notice that you know he pairs grapefruit and fennel together in a dish right and then next time you have the opportunity to like use those two things together then use them together and and go from there right or learn one bit of mathematical notation learn about set theory or ordered sets or lattices or whatever might interest you and then leverage that into some greater understanding right because that's really how it works like you you kind of have to get your taste up over time, right? It's like you you have to really, it is, it is an incremental thing. Computer science practitioners and mathematicians often discuss this, talk about this idea of intuition, right? There's a, there's a formal way of understanding something and there's an intuitive way of understanding something. What you really want people to understand 
is the intuition, right? But often there is a certain amount of formal knowledge that's a necessary prerequisite of that, right? Like you, no one talks strictly in terms of the formalisms. They really want to talk about the intuition, right? And once you, once you're on the same page with someone else that you know understands that intuition, then you can really dig deep into the subject, right? And a, and and a similar thing in cooking might just be like you know taste, knowing when something is properly seasoned, knowing when something. Has has the right mouthfeel or the right texture, knowing when things, you know, kind of what goes together and what doesn't. Maybe you're willing to push a little bit on that accepted wisdom, but I think it's important to have like a baseline, work toward a baseline first, you know, not to be afraid, not to be afraid to experiment, but to know that, you know, the more of a formal um, background you have, then the easier it is to gain these intuitions one by one you know, the comparison is even more close than that, even then it's not just taste. Like I was saying, I was saying one of my projects recently has been to actually like read through a lot of these aspirational cookbooks that I had just been using as coffee table books or books to stare at after dinner some nights. But now I've actually been reading all the words in them. It's actually picking up the philosophy and the underlying ideas of what these guys are going for, uh, men and women. And they're they're all striving for very, very similar things, but they all have different approaches and techniques and underlying beliefs that they try to express through these kind of memoir slash cookbooks, as many of these are. It's really interesting to see how similar and how how much there is a thread that ties them together. But at the same time, you know, yeah, there are these different ideas about taste, you know, different ideas about how to prepare an ingredient. You know, there's a world of different ideas out there and absorbing and focusing on the ideas rather than the than the actual food or the actual mathematical proof might be the way to approach this learning wanting to gain that intuition should could be a good thing to help motivate you to understand the formalism that underlies it. There's an also an interesting thing that happens in cooking too where it's like sometimes at first when you see a recipe and it's so involved, you know, you might be making like a soup or something like that and and so many of the steps of making the soup might be toward the end of like making the soup crystal clear, right? You might wonder like, why does it even matter, right? Like, why do I even care if the soup is crystal clear, right? And sometimes you'll make it through and the soup will end up that way. And then when you go to eat it, it hits you, right? And the reason why it matters is because you eat like, you know, you eat with your eyes first, right? And seeing this, seeing this like beautiful, clear broth that you labored over for half a day to make sure that it had the clarity level that you were going for is a thing that impacts you and your guests uh, that you're cooking for, whether they know it or not, right? Like, when you serve that bowl of uh, soup to someone and it's perfectly crystal clear and all the accoutrements are, are prepared just so, uh, even if they don't know how much effort went into it, which they probably do because you were probably bragging about it or whatever, but even if... <laughs> or just covered in sweat and wiping wiping down the sweat with your eight paper towels as you approach the table, whatever it exactly. is. Exactly. Like, you know, people do notice, right? And like you, it, it, there is a sense of like when you pour yourself into the final product of something like that, people definitely notice and... It, it goes beyond gaining a sense of self-satisfaction, right? It, it's like... Um, I would play devil's advocate to that too of like there's definitely a mode where these chefs are talking and we as 
developers talk about the need to do this for other people and we're doing this because of the end result. But I think often are the chefs or the, the developers who get the most out of these situations of trying to strive for these things are doing it purely as a as a thing to warm their own hearts because they they themselves know that this is the right way to do it and whether you're sitting in a dark cave smiling to yourself because you just did a bitwise operation and and made something work even faster or or you're a chef who cured vinegar for eight months in some back closet and pulled it out and tasted it for the first time a lot of people are doing it just because of the self-satisfaction all right well on that note we can wrap it up, hear a little bit more uh, Willie Cologne. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure to tweet your questions and comments at us at Beats Rye Types on Twitter. Uh, or we have an email address now, too, Aaron. Aaron at BeatsRyeTypes.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time.